Let's pray. God the Father, you have visited this place, born in a stable of Bethlehem, lived among us, died at our hands, but rose from the dead in victory over the grave by the power of your almighty hand. And by the Holy Spirit, you empowered the believers, the churches all over the world in all kinds of tongues and languages still to this day to hold on to Easter hope in an ungracious and unholy world. Send that spirit now that things may come alive for this community this morning and that dead hearts might beat again with the same resurrection power that brought your son out of that dark tomb. In his name we pray and everyone says, Amen. Amen. Our call to worship. The Lord be with you. And also with you. This is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. This is the good news. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. Hallelujah. This is the good news. Once we were no people. Now we are God's people. Hallelujah. Christ is our peace, the indestructible peace we now share with each other. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Jesus appeared to his apostles and his believers after he rose from the dead... One of the things that the Bible tells us that he did is that he breathed on his disciples and said, my peace I give you, my peace I give you. So there's something about the resurrected Jesus that is supposed to bring peace um, into our lives and outward into the world around us. There's something about that, and so we have a practice that we do, and you'll have a chance to Say this uh, back and forth here and then have a chance to say hello to someone nearby and pass the peace to each other. The peace of the Lord be with you. And let's have that exchange with each other. Let's pass the peace. Say hi to someone.
Thanks. Yeah. All right. I invite you to find your seats. All right. As you're finding your seats, I'm going to start passing this around. This is a clipboard. It's got some things in it. You can just pay no attention to that. It used to be used for something else. It's the only one I could find this morning. Um, this is a sign-up related to our children's ministry. So if you have any interest and have been making City Life Church your home church and have any interest in, in the fall, so after the summer is wrapped up and we've all had our fun, if you'd like to be a helper or a teacher in some way with the kids' ministry or you're just wondering about it, put your name down on here. I'm going to pass this around this way and just keep it moving. You saw, I don't know, what did we see, about 15 kids up here? And last week I did a, a quick poll to say how many uh, kids you think we have from 16 and under at City Life Church, and no one guessed high enough. We have 44 children and youth. And so this, this is a growing... When we first started City Life in 2007, I had two children... And that was pretty much it. There was, I think Eric, Eric had one of his kids then. And, but I mean, other than that, um, nothing. Now we've got 44 kids. And we're trying to figure out how to, how to make that work. And so we could use several people who are just willing to do once a month of helping with kids and youth in the fall. So that's September. You have time to think about it. In, in our worship guide, there's a contact card. If you have questions or if you're visiting for the first time today, let us know how you found out about us or what questions you have. Um, you also might want to get involved or get more connected or want to discuss a spiritual issue. You can use that card for that. <clears throat> we also, um, at City Life Church, we are trying to partner with, in a meaningful way, and, and support an enrichment program that exists just to the north of us, just to the north of downtown in the neighborhood of Gardenland Northgate. It's called The Greenhouse. And they work with a population of students and children that are right in the complex and the houses right around where their center is. And we were able to do a lot of help with their camp that they just did, ABC camp this, this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and thank you to those who helped. I know a lot of people helped, and I showed up and saw a bunch of people doing really cool things, helping teach and everything else. It was really exciting. So thanks for helping partner with that. If you have heard us talking about the greenhouse and you're wondering what it is, why, why we're so committed to connecting with them and helping them, there is a, an event coming up next month that's an extremely fun event. It costs $70, which helps support the greenhouse. So that's a donation, um, and it's on May 31, so there's plenty of time. What we picture and what the, the director of the greenhouse told me would be exciting if we had, the, it's a big dinner and there's desserts and there's all kinds of stuff happening to help us know more about the greenhouse, um, and it is a fundraiser, so there's ways that you can purchase desserts and it gets kind of cutthroat because you're fighting over and you're bidding over these pieces of cake. Um, it's a really fun event. Um, what, what the director of the greenhouse was telling me was that um, it'd be cool if we had uh, maybe some groups at City Life. Maybe you don't want to go alone. Maybe you do. Maybe you want to go with some people in your small group or some friends that you have here. So get together and sign up RSVP. I have a bunch of cards up here that are basically invitations. So if you're interested in going and want to tell a few friends, 
come see me after the service and I'll give you one of those. Um, or if I'm not up here, I'll just leave those here. You can grab one. Um, we're starting next Sunday at 9.30 during our adult Sunday school hour before the service. We're starting a study in the Psalms. If you have questions about that, um, you can write something on a contact card or talk to me because there's a book that you'll need to have. So for 12 weeks, we'll be studying the Psalms together at 9.30 and worshiping at 10.30. Right after this service, final announcement, right after this service, we're having an egg hunt across the street. Now, <coughs> I see the look on some of your faces who are new. What, that's a cemetery over there. Are you serious? Um, we actually, this is a tradition, Not, and, and we're going to talk in a minute about having an Easter mindset, and having an Easter mindset in a bad news world. Maybe some of you saw the bad news this morning in Sri Lanka with church bombings, um, and it almost feels like there's that again, you know? I mean, it's, it, it's awful not to say you just flippantly, but I mean, it's like we expect almost the bad news. So nothing says having an Easter mindset in a bad news world more than having a joyous Easter egg hunt in a cemetery. And that's the sort of Christian confidence that we have. So that's going on. Go and see it across the street if you have a little bit of time after the service. Um, Our reading is from Luke 24, and Dan is our reader. This is God's word. On the first day of the week, very, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. When they remembered his words, then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The word of the Lord. As we explore this Easter passage, I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, um, and we come from all kinds of different experiences and expectations this morning. Now we invite something to happen that Christians believe happens when we open up your scriptures that you would speak not through not not because I'm going to say something profound but because you're going to use whatever is said to bring your grace your presence into our lives we might come doubting all of that and quite skeptical this morning. Or we might come with um, all we can see in front of us is a murky swamp of fear and bad news. 
and we've already begun sludging through it. But others of us come and there's sort of a happiness or a lightness. We see the light at the end of the tunnel, a door has opened, whatever it is, but there's something which makes us able to hope this morning. Maybe prayers have been answered. Even as we sit here next to someone else who says, I've been praying and praying and it doesn't seem to work. And as we come with this mixture of faith and doubt, the truth is we're all in the same boat. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. But in Christ, your story tells us, yes, we're more of a mess than we care to admit, but in Christ, we're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And so will you use the story of the empty tomb this morning to show us that love that you have for us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24 is what we're looking at. And the Bible has a bigger story. Man, we've filled almost every seat, haven't we? There's a few chairs over there and some over there if anybody still wants to find a spot. Um, The Bible is not a book of rules. And the Bible is not an instruction manual. Even though you'll walk into churches or groups of Christians who are using it that way all the time, primarily that way, it's not primarily that. There are some things that could function as instructions. There are some things that could function as rules in there. But that's not primarily what it is. It's the story of God's grace. It's a long story. It's a a long, drawn-out telling of how there's a gloriously beautiful world that has been deeply wounded and scarred and flawed because of human sin. And so the rest of the story charts God's plan for renewing and fixing and restoring. We don't even, like tomorrow is Earth Day. And on Earth Day, the evidence is always before us. We don't need the Bible to tell us that the world is scarred by human sin. We know it. We can see it. The evidence is before us. So God's, the plan of the Bible, the whole thing of the Bible is God incrementally kind of walking through and entering in to restore and renew and to bring hope. So Christians look at the cross and the empty tomb and the only way we know how to understand them and make sense of what Jesus did is within that bigger story. That these are the climactic events of this restoring plan, this healing plan. So that's why Christians make such a big deal out of Easter, because when death itself is overcome by Jesus, well, what else is going to get in the way of God's ability to enter in and renew? We see the horrible news, we see all of it, and yet Christians today say, as like a slogan that flows out of that empty tomb, we say, He is risen! A bunch of you know it already. It's this back and forth that says, it's not just a silly, quaint tradition. It says, this God is making all things new. Bring it on. All the news around us seems bad so often, and yet he has risen. And so we're talking today about living with an Easter mindset in a bad news world living with an Easter mindset in a bad news world. And the characters in our story, they're not not there yet. They're not ready yet for an Easter mindset. 
The women are resigned to the tasks at hand. They've made a plan for their day to do death's dirty work. And so they're perplexed that they can't find the body. It's almost the angels tell them to remember that Jesus said he was going to be raised, but you almost get the sense that that's that's too difficult of a path to, to take. Maybe you could just tell us where the body is so we could go through with our plans for the day. There's a way in which we all kind of get stuck in the bad news. We get stuck in death's dirty work. And the women seem stuck in the angels, uh, messengers, whatever they are, that appear to them, say, it seems like with a a little bit tongue-in-cheek, why are you looking for the living among the dead? But the 11, too... It's not just these women that have come early, early in the morning to do death's dirty work, but the 11 as well. They're resistant. The women come and tell them, but they don't believe it. It sounds crazy. They're resistant to an Easter mindset, and Peter is unsure. Even though he is willing to go run to the tomb and check out the evidence himself, he's still, at the end of the story, wondering. It's a bad news world. And many of you come this morning and the bad news mindset is wearing you out. Even the solutions that we adopt, that we think are going to help us through the bad news of this world, turn out to be bad news in and of themselves. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's romantic redemption, whether it's becoming the perfect parent, or believing that my career or my performance will save me and prove my worth, or whether a stable and happy retirement will be where my joy is, or whether just immersing yourself into the entertainment of life to get through the bad news. All of these things end up looking at us eventually as bad news in of themselves. One writer I read this morning, um, or this week, said it really well, and I don't know if I'll ever forget this phrase. We memorize the bad news. It's like like the bad news becomes these well-worn pathways, these neural grooves that we keep following throughout our life. When we get older, our kids will be so irritated with us as we, oh, here he goes again the list of five things that are terrible about his life or that he worries is going to happen with his grandkids or that some of you have taken care of aging parents and you know. As we get older, we just kind of stay in those same bad news ruts. We memorize the bad news. And losses make a bigger imprint on our psyche than the wins. George Orwell, during World War II, he said this, the most stirring battle poem in English is about a brigade of cavalry which charged in the wrong direction. We memorize the bad news. But it's all around us. A book that portrays us and leads us into this topic marvelously is this book that came home from the library um, in my house, and I was reading it to my kids, and I thought of Easter. It's called Something Beautiful by Sharon Dennis Wyeth. And I'll read a little bit of the beginning. When I look through my windows, I see a brick wall. There is trash in the courtyard and a broken bottle. 
that looks like falling stars. There is writing in the halls of my building. On the front door, someone put the word die. Where I walk, I pass a lady whose home is a big cardboard carton. She sleeps on the sidewalk, wrapped in plastic. I run past a dark alley where mommy told me I must never stop. Behind a fence, there is a garden without any flowers. Many days, we get out of bed and we look around and that's life. And it's easy to memorize the bad news. Maybe you come this morning with a bad news mindset of some sort or the other. Maybe you come this morning with a litany of what's wrong with religious people? Or maybe you just come fresh off a conversation last night or two nights ago with someone who was talking about that very thing. Or maybe you come with two or three reasons why already that the Bible need not be taken seriously. This whole bad news world, this whole bad news mindset can leave us really vulnerable. Living almost as if expecting a trick or a disaster around every corner. A delightful book that I read several years back, it's about magic and set in the times of the Napoleonic Wars. So it's just a fun book. It's called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Suzanne, Suzanne Clark. There's a point where these soldiers, these French soldiers, have been tricked because the magicians are working for the other side and they've, they've made some illusions so that the roads that the French need to take are not, they, they see a road, it looks like a good road, but it's not, and it leads the wrong way, and it delays them. So they come up, these French soldiers, to this incredible, beautiful, perfect path. And yet, there's rumors that it might be one of those illusions. And this is what the book says. As soon as this rumor reached the ears of the soldiers, they declined absolutely to walk along that road, which was, in fact, perfectly real, and had existed for almost a thousand years. Instead, they followed some serpentine route over mountains and through rocky valleys that wore out their boots and tore their clothes and delayed them for several days. And so I ask on this Easter, have you stubbornly avoided the better path? even though it leaves you exhausted and delayed, quite frankly. Peter and the women could have rejected the resurrection. They do seem in this story a little bit on the fence. They could have rejected it the way that the soldiers rejected that path in the little quote I just read. But instead, what they end up doing and what this passage exists here to tell us is that they enter into sort of a chamber of the curious where there's openness and it's where their very openness to what's happened is going to eventually lead them to what I would call true joy. Oh, that that would be available in our world today. True joy? Real hope? That's where it leads, though. They lead, it leads, as they enter into this chamber of curiosity, they are led eventually to meeting Jesus and finding true hope. 
But this passage exists in Luke. These 12 verses exist to, to highlight this period of wondering, perplexing, being curious. Notice the women in the story, they're wondering. Peter at the end of the story, he's wondering. Although they're slow to be convinced, the women in Peter enter into this wondering space. I got permission from Jonathan, who was standing up here before, to express or to share a quote that he gave in approaching membership related to his own journeying through this kind of phase of openness. It's clear that Jonathan has gone through this. Let me just read this to you. I approach most things in life with a healthy dose of skepticism. And I am overall a doubt-laden soul. That said, I believe in a God infinitely larger than my doubt. And indeed, am wholly uninterested in following any God smaller than my doubt. I am increasingly comfortable with not knowing nor having all the answers. In city life, he says, I have found a safe place one of refuge, and one where I am encouraged to come as I am. City Life has existed for 11 years to be that kind of a place, to be that kind of space where curiosity can happen, where you can try out openness. It's a weird thing to think about. Try out openness? Have you ever tried out openness? You know, open to new information? open to your outlook expanded, open to, quite frankly, being wrong? Openness. All kinds of people have tried it. All kinds of people have found joy through the journey. All kinds of people tell how it happened for them, how God or angels or random coincidences or events ushered them into the perplexing path, the sort of carousel of curiosity. All kinds of people have told the story. One of my latest and favorites is Mary Carr, who writes poetry. She's a poet. And she tells that she is the most unlikely convert that ever existed. You can get her memoirs, and I haven't read them yet. I'm just discovering who she is. But she wrote a couple of memoirs, kind of pre-Christian, and then she wrote one telling more of her journey and her conversion to faith. But I have a little quote from her that she put in a book of poems called Sinner's Welcome, where she described some of her journey at the end of the book. At one point she says this, I started kneeling to pray morning and night, spitefully at first, in a bitter pout. The truth is, I still very much fancied the idea of glugging down Jack Daniels, or that glugging down Jack Daniels would stay my turmoil, even though doing so had resulted in my driving into stuff with more molecular density than I. I love how she writes. But I had an illiterate baby to whom many vows had been made. And whenever whiskey's virtues, or whatever whiskey's virtues, it had gotten hard to remain, to maintain my initial argument that drinking made me a calmer mom to a colicky child. Whiskey was killing me which didn't seem such a bad idea for either my kid or me, given my ugly disposition. She says, ergo, I prayed, not with the misty-eyed glee I'd seen on Song of Bernadette, nor with the butch conviction of Charlton Heston 
playing Moses in Ten Commandments. I prayed with belligerence. At least once with a middle finger aimed at the light fixture. My own small unloaded bazooka pointed at the Almighty. I said, keep me sober in the morning. I said, thanks at night. And she says, that's how nearly 15 years back I came to prayer, fleeing what James Lachlan via Pilgrim's Progress used to call the slew of despond. And over the years, prayer led me to God and God led me to church, a journey fueled fueled by massively freakish coincidences, which proved over the years that any energy I spent seeking God paid off a hundredfold. So this unlikely convert becomes someone who writes poetry for Easter. And this is her poem called Descending Theology, The Resurrection, or part of it, I should say. She says, In the corpse's core, the stone fist of his heart began to bang on the stiff chest door. And breath spilled back into that battered shape Now, it's your limbs he longs to flow into. From the sunflower center in your chest, outward as warm water shatters at birth, rivering every way. Easter is what helps the Christian go from memorizing the bad news to going out with an Easter mindset as Christ flows into our limbs and as we begin to add to the good news in a bad news world. The book ends, she's on her steps. I go back home and sit down on my stoop. I look at the trash in my courtyard. I see the word die on my door. I go upstairs and I get a broom and a sponge and some water. I pick up the trash. I sweep up the glass. I scrub the door very hard. When dye disappears, I feel powerful. Someday I'll plant flowers in my courtyard. I'll invite all my friends to see. Happy Easter. Let's pray. God of Easter, God of the empty tomb, God of eternal hope, would you deliver us from the fear of death and make us to know that death is not the end but the beginning of life, not the twilight but the dawn, not the midnight but the breaking day. So grant us the certainty that beyond death, there is a life where the broken things are mended and the lost things found, where there is rest for the weary and joy for the sad, where all we have hoped and willed of good shall exist, where the dream will come true and the ideal will be realized where we shall be forever with our Lord. So grant us the Easter certainty that life is stronger than death.
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We respond to hearing God's word through offering prayers on behalf of our church and the world. The communal response response is, Lord, hear our prayer. And you'll also be invited to join your voices together with the Lord's Prayer as we close. Let us pray. O God, grant us to share in the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that through him and with him, we may die to sin and live to righteousness. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant that through him and with him, our old self may die, and the new self, victorious over sin and lovely with goodness, may be created. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant that through him and with him, we may become a new creation in which the old things have passed away and in which everything has become new. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant that the bad news of this world, from gun violence to ecological destruction, from burnings of black churches in Louisiana to explosions in Sri Lanka to the many destructive obsessions of American society, Grant that the bad news of this world be healed through the life-restoring power of your empty tomb. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. In joining our voices, we pray the words given by Jesus, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We continue our response to God through our offering, and while the musical offering is taking place up here, we use this time of worship to give back to God from what God has given us. Some baskets will be coming around. If you're visiting, this is not a moment of pressure But uh, except maybe to pressure you to put in that card, let us know who you are and how you found out about our church. And if you're desiring to be in the announcement loop, um, you can put your email address down for that. So those contact cards are there. There's pens in the Bibles nearby. But this is a time of offering. Christians believe that all that we have is from God, all of it, even though we have this tradition of tithing, of saying, I'll give 10% to God and God's work, um, but that's just a representative of everything I have is God's and for God's use. And so this is a part of our living out our faith to worship God with our offerings. And so I invite you to join me as the words on the screen usher us into a prayer uh, to shape this time. Let us pray. Good shepherd, you spread a table before us. We offer you our gifts signs of your goodness and love, and tokens of our grateful hearts. Nourish us at the feast of the Lamb, that we may proclaim to all the world your triumphant love in Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a couple seats up front, and uh, otherwise, uh, maybe over here and over here, and right up the second row. 
we come to a time of communion, and we're going to actually have two stations up front. So I wonder, Dan and Jen, if you would be willing in a minute to come up and be the second station. Um, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. We'll say a few words uh, that will help us kind of absorb what all this means in a minute. But what we'll be doing is serving up here. And I think one, one route would be to come this way and circle back around to your seat over there. And the other route is to go this way and circle back around to your seat that way. We go from the front to the back, and when you come up, you can receive a piece of bread. Then you can dip it in the cup. There's a smaller partition with grape juice if you don't want wine, and then you can eat it on your way back to your seat. If you need gluten-free vegan, this, the crackers will be on the table on this plate. That's how we'll be serving communion. At this table, we celebrate. It's okay. Come on up, Jeremiah. Come on up. This is good for your car on the carpet right here. At this table, we um, celebrate that God didn't come to us in some kind of way that said, now if you can do enough, if you can be good enough, then you can approach me. That quite the opposite, that God approached us when we weren't enough. And that's the story of the Christian faith. So if you're a Christian, you're excited to embrace and come forward and celebrate that story, that Christ has made you enough to approach to belong, to be in God's inner circle through grace. That's what this is all about. Now, if grace is not your story, um, don't feel like you have to come forward. You can stay in your seat, and there's prayers in the worship guide that you might find helpful. It can be a meditative time in your seat or by coming forward. Parents of kids, um, children are welcome at this table. Just let me kind of have a eye contact or some, something that lets me know if they're participating or not. So let's enter into the words. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit as we enter into the words of this time, starting with the Apostles' Creed. Let's stand together. And I invite you into the statement of faith of the Christian Church, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right for us to give thanks and praise. Father, we give you thanks and praise, eternal God, creator and ruler of the universe. Your hand formed us from the dust of the earth and set us among all your creatures to love and serve you. When we were unfaithful to you, you kept faith with us, with your steadfast covenant of grace. You led us through the desert to the land flowing with milk and honey. You spoke of love and justice in the prophets, and in the word made flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, you lived among us, manifesting your glory. He died that we might live and is risen to raise us to new life. Therefore, we join our voices with those past and present who forever sing to the glory of your name, saying, 
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He came with healing in his touch and was wounded for our sins. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. He came with peace in his heart and met with violence and death. And by your power, he broke free from the prison of the tomb, and at his command, the gates of hell were opened. The one who was dead now lives. The one who humbled himself is raised to rule over all creation, the lamb upon the throne. And so our dear Lord, as we approach this table, risen Christ, whose absence leaves us paralyzed, but whose presence is overwhelming, breathe on us with your abundant life that where we cannot see, we may have courage to believe, that we may be raised with you. To you belong glory and honor forever and ever. And we say, Amen. You can